so easy to sing but do we really mean it god everything surrender all to you why don't we why don't we close our eyes and just say god i surrender all to you lord every part of me is there anything that we're holding back from god is there anything you're holding back just say god take this moment of boldness of courage to say okay god you can have that too consuming fire for Lord, we want you to consume every part of us. Give us the courage, Lord, to give every single part of our lives over to you. The Holy Spirit, we ask you to flow through us and fill us with your presence. 
that we would not hold anything back, but that every part of our hearts, every part of our lives would surrender to you. God, help us to honour you with every single part of our lives. Lord, where we are weak, we ask for your strength. We ask for your change. We ask for your growth. Lord, that you grow within us. Help us to change and honour you and reflect you more and more in our lives. And God, we thank you for the parts that you already have victory in our lives. And Lord, we give those in worship to you as well. Lord, in the weaknesses, we give those to you in worship. Lord, every single part of us, we thank you that you own us, Lord. We are in your kingdom. We've given our whole lives to you. Lord, fill us with your presence. Thank you for your consuming fire. Yes, Lord. Yes, God. Amen. Amen. Isn't it good to be in church? Worshipping God together. That's good, eh? Hey, why don't you say hi to someone? Grab a seat and say hi to someone around you. Introduce yourself. to have you here with us in church this morning. Hey, if you're a visitor this morning, then we've, uh, we've got a, a visitor info pack for you that you can grab just on your way out. As you leave through the foyer, it's just on your right. There's a table there. And you can grab one of these at the end. It's got some info, info in there about who we are. There's a card that you can fill in to give us your details if you'd like us to be in touch. And there's also chocolate. So just for visitors though, first or second time, you can grab one of these at the end. Have there been any wedding anniversaries or birthdays this week? Anyone come down and join me in the front? You know how it goes. Any birthdays, wedding anniversaries? Gotta have to be some. Yeah, come on, come on out. Yeah, it's a birthday. Anyone else? 24 years old or 24 years married? <laughs> That's all right. Happy 24th, mate. Happy 24th. Any other birthdays? Luke. Come on down, Luke. You can't avoid this. Luke's birthday. Called out by his papa. Excellent. Come on down, Luke. Is it today? Is it today, Luke? Yesterday. Okay. That's good. Any wedding anniversaries this time around? I see some hands getting pointed. Come on. You can be brave and get chocolate. There's chocolate in it for you. Okay, church. Let's stand and let's pray this prayer of blessing over these guys. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favor, prosperity, and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness through each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So what's next weekend? I hear there's something happening. Easter. Easter weekend. So we've got a few things happening. Good Friday. We have a Good Friday service this year. What time is it? 9.30. Yeah, it's an easy test because the answer's up on the screen for you. What time is the service? 9.30. 9.30 on Good Friday. And then on Sunday, we have a combined morning service at 10 a.m. 
So instead of the 9 and the 10.30, we have a 10 a.m. service next Sunday morning, and then we've still got the 6 p.m. at night. So Good Friday service. Uh, what Sheridan's been saying is that this one is going to be one to remember, so make sure you're there. He, he's, he's saying that it can even be an event that you may be remembering in 20 years' time. It's that significant. So I've got something really special planned. Uh, Rissa and I have adjusted our plans for Easter just so we can be there because this sounds amazing. But the one word of caution is that if you've had a loss of someone close to you, uh, a death in the family or friends in the, in the recent time, then the word of warning is that Friday is going to be quite an emotional one. So um, that's the word of warning. But come along, all of us. So Friday, what time's the service on Friday? 9.30. 9.30. We hope to see you there. And of course... Sunday is the celebration of Jesus rising from the dead. So that's the, um, that's the highlights. Now we've got a couple of things to do now. We've got a few people who are going to be leaving us. We have Mark and Elna who are going to be, who are heading to Wellington, moving next Saturday for, for work down there. So we're going to pray them out. And also Graham and Katie Mills are going on an extended sabbatical, leaving to go and explore the world and have all sorts of fun and won't be back here until August. And so we're going to take the time to, to pray with them. And at the same time, kids, it's going to be an opportunity for you guys to head out to Kids Church. So Mark and Elna and Graham and Katie, why don't you come down to the middle here? Friends and family, anyone knows them, can you gather around? And we're going to pray a prayer of blessing over them. And kids have an amazing time at Kids Church. So if you know Graham or Katie, jump up. Jump up to your feet. Or Mark and Elna, jump up to your feet. Let's gather around them, lay hands on them, and just pray God's blessing on them over this, uh, both of them going on pretty cool adventures. So you can reach out your hands to them as well. We're just praying for God's blessing on them. Amazing time, growth, and God's provision for them on the way as well. Opening of doors, connection of relationships and friendships. good to bless our family as they head out into new things that God has for them. Isn't that good? So make sure you say, give them a hug at the end if you know them and wish them an amazing adventure. That is cool. Hey, we're going to have MJ come now and uh, share with us around the communion table. Thanks, Josh. Good morning, church. Good morning. We will... Um, I'd like to share with you this morning in communion and um, just want to ask the host team to please go ahead and hand up the symbols. I'm just going to have uh, three scriptures, so if you have your Bibles with me, we can turn to those. First scripture I'd like to read to you this morning, 1 Peter 2, from verse 23 and 24. When they hold insults at him, he did not retaliate. 
When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. I'd also like us to turn to Colossians 2. And we'll start reading um, at verse 14. He forgave us our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When I was asked to deal with, uh, to share with you about communion, it uh, became almost as if God wanted us just to stand still at the, at the reason, at the purpose of communion. It's to remember what he did for us on the cross, to remember why he went through what he did. And in the busyness of life, it becomes very easy to get caught up in the world, to get overwhelmed by the world. And this is a time in which we can just be quiet and realize what God did for us and remember the purpose why he went through what he did for us. And it was also just a thought that I was uh, meditating on about the timing that Jesus used. He used the meal time to make us remember what he did. It's almost as if he wanted us every day to be quiet, to consider what he's done for us, to not focus on the world and the busyness of the world, but to bring our faith to the very purpose of what he did. And I also want to, just the last point I want to make is the spiritual significance of what Jesus did. He's reminding us to remember what he did for a purpose. And the spiritual importance of it is that he has given us freedom through what he did. He has given us the ability to receive forgiveness if we accept it. We have, through his power, healing through what he did. And that is a spiritual significance because no force in heaven or hell will be able to outdo that. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want to end off by taking you to Colossians 1 verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. What a wonderful statement. What a powerful understanding we get through what Jesus did. He died for us on the cross. He rose again so that we have in him the ability to be taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his loving son.
hopefully by now you all have the symbols and I'd like to let us remember the significance of what Jesus did. Let us focus during this time on why we're together. And I want to pray that we'll also practically implement the reason and the representation of what the bread and the wine or the juice is. Let's take the bread together. And as we take that together, I'll pray for us. Lord, we want to take the bread as a church together and remember what you did for us. And Lord, if there's healing that needs to flow in people's bodies in this moment, we pray that through your power, your healing will flow and touch. Thank you for your wounds and your stripes that give us healing. And we proclaim that over ourselves, over every part of our body, over every organ of our body, from head to toe, in Jesus' name, we pray for your healing. Let's take the juice that represents the wine. Heavenly Father, as we take the juice that represents the new covenant, covenant of grace, we pray, Lord, that your forgiveness will flow in people's lives, that your redemption will become reality to people. We pray, Lord, where there are bondages that bind, that will be broken by the power of God. And we pray that people will walk free from sin and death and that nothing will hold them back. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. is it to take a moment to take that time to pause and really think on how huge that is a similar um, communion message actually was shared at the 9am about our time and how God wants us to take those moments to think on him to shut out the, the white noise, the surrounding distractions, and take those moments. And I encourage you this morning, as we um, continue on in worship, have a moment, a moment with Him. So I invite you now to stand to your feet.
I am lost in your goodness. I'm surrounded. I am found in your love. There's nothing better than knowing your love Help me to trust you more every day You hold my forever and you I will stay Oh yes Lord Here and now I surrender I am desperate For a moment with you A moment with you I am lost, Lord I am lost In your goodness I'm surrounded
Just to know you is all I want Just to know you is all I need Just a moment and I am free Just a moment with you Just a moment with you Just a moment with you
declare that this morning. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Forever, forever. Yours is the kingdom. And yours is the power. Yours is the glory. The kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever amen yours is the kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever amen yours is the king our praises to God and I'd like us to raise our voices and a shout out to Him. The psalmist says, I shout out to the Lord. I raise my voice and declare my praises to God. It's something He just doesn't sit on His lap and say, well, maybe I'll praise God, maybe I won't. He declares it boldly and declares the greatness of His God. So I want you to join with me as we declare a raise and put our hands together. Come on, church, we praise You, Lord. Mighty is Your name. Hallelujah. Mighty is your name, Jesus. Worthy of all praise. Worthy of all glory. Hallelujah. Well, that is good. How are we going there with the mic, Reese? How's that? Can you hear me okay? 
with this one, that's fine. Why don't you grab a seat? Say hello to your neighbour. Thanks, Lance. Do you know the Scriptures say that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places? Isn't that true? We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. When I read that years and years ago, I used to go, God, I don't get it. I'm on the earth sitting on my recliner or sitting at my chair, and I'm here. And yet you say I'm seated with you in heavenly places. I know the Scripture's true, but there's something missing. And so I began to pray about it. And Lord, I said, let me understand what it truly means to sit with you in heavenly places. And guess what I've worked out? I don't say I've worked it all out, but what I've worked out, it's got nothing to do with my mind. If I try and rationalize it and work it out with my mind, now I'm not saying don't use your mind because we need to develop all our mental capacities to the best we can. But God says there's something of our spirit that is seated with him in heavenly places. And when you live from a place of being seated with God, you see life from a heavenly perspective. It's almost like sitting from heaven, if you like, and looking on the earth below. You look over circumstances, you look over areas, and you can rule and reign as God has called you to rule and reign. Because the scripture says we are seated with, heavenly, with him in heavenly places. So isn't that good? It's really, really good. Well, praise God. Great to see you this morning. And uh, congratulations, Graham and Katie. We're going to miss you. All the very best for your trip, and you'll have a wonderful time. We we'll look forward to seeing you on your return. And also to Mark and Elna and the twins. Have a wonderful time in Wellington. Love to see you when you're visiting up this way again. Just fantastic. So our prayers and our thoughts are with you as you embark on Wellington. In fact, I was there. Wendy and I were there yesterday, actually, with our boys. Uh, we went to Te Papa and uh, the, uh, the War Memorial Museum and had a look around there. It was absolutely fantastic. And uh, I might share a little bit about that a little bit later on. But, um, and thank you, MJ. Great communion message. Great to be encouraged. Okay. <clears throat> well, today the, the title of my message is Work It Out. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, work it out. So uh, do you want to get on the ground and do 50 push-ups or 100 star jumps? Don't worry, you can relax. I'm not going to ask you to do push-ups or star jumps or anything like that at all. But we are going to talk about work it out. And we're going to continue with uh, the book of Philippians in chapter 2, verses 12 to 16 uh, this morning. Uh, before we start there, uh, I just want to share you a story. When I read the scripture, and Linda's going to put it on the screen shortly, I couldn't help but think when I was about 10 or 12, and my dad said to me one Saturday morning, he said, Raymond. And when he said it like that, I thought, oh no, there's some work coming up. And there sure was that morning. He said, we're going to go out and we're going to go and collect leaves, leaves in the bush, thick, deep, composty leaves about this deep, scrape them off the bush floor. We're going to collect them and we're going to bring them home. And I said, what are you going to do with them there? And he said, I'm going to put them in the garden so we can grow some good vegetables. Well, like any 12-year-old, I didn't want to go out and dig up leaves. And secondly, I said to my dad, well, what say my friends are there? I know there was a fat chance of that happening, but what say my friends are there? They're going to make fun of me. And uh, he said, no, we're going to go out and we're going to go and dig leaves. Talk about friends making fun of you. Um, and it's a real, I'm really, really disappointed that Pastor Sheridan and Jan are not here this morning. They're in Papakura having a wonderful time ministering there. And also Pastor David Quinn. Wasn't that great with him last week? But they gave me a little bit of a ribbing about the, the fishing. And of course, I can't give them a ribbing because they're not here today. But I thought... 
you know, a case sounds right until you hear the other side, doesn't it? That's what the proverb says. So I thought I'd better give you the facts. Do you want to hear the facts from the fishing story? So these are the facts. No embellishments, just the truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> so here we go. I can have some real fun with this. But they're not here, so I can't really. So we went up to the Hauraki Gulf, and it was just absolutely beautiful, you know, a couple of weekends ago. And uh, we caught six, six snap, snapper. I better hold up the right fingers, haven't I? Six. And um, it was good. And then we saw some birds that were hovering over the water, and they were diving, bombing into the water. And we thought, great. There's certainly bound to be kawai there. And so we went over there, and sure enough, we got onto the kawai. We had just a ball going through and putting our lures out and catching the kawai. And this is where the story really began. Guess what? This is the actual truth. I was catching four times as many kawai as David Quinn was. That is the truth. I had a silver spinner. David had a white one. So he changed his white one to a silver one and still couldn't catch them. Well, he caught a couple. And the, the truth of the matter, yes, we were winding them up. And because um, I understand it, Kawai have soft lips that when you put the hooks in them, or if the hooks are not sharp enough, they can easily break off. And so we were losing a few fish that way. So we had to work as teamwork. So David would open the bin. I would, I would catch the fish. That was the first thing. David would open the bin, and then Sheridan would take the line and pop it in the bin, and that's how we got our car away, and that's the truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> and I can't say any more, except we had a fantastic time together, and uh, if they were here, I would say a lot more, but there we go. So, so that's very, very cool. So going back to the story, so we, we were collecting this um, leaf mould, as my dad used to call it, and uh, when we got home, he was absolutely delighted and I was miserable, spending three or four hours collecting these leaves. It just wasn't good. Our trailer was chocker. The boot of the car was chocker with these leaves. And then my dad goes out to the garden, and I thought my work was over. He said, no, there's more of it. So we get out to the garden. We begin to dig trenches and put these leaves in it. And um, there were so many leaves, we then had to pile them against the side of our garden. And there was leaves and soil, and he'd put lime and all sorts of bits and pieces over it. And slowly we'd build this up, and he's saying, well, that's for next year. So I was thinking, well, there'd be no more leaves to collect next year. I got that all wrong. There were still more leaves to collect the year after. So um, my dad worked this leaf mould, this compost, into the soil, so it became very rich and very fertile. Um, and, and when I was reading the scripture we're about to read, this is what I was thinking of as, as this, this manure was worked in. So let's um, put up the scripture. Thanks, Linda. So in Philippians chapter 2 to 14, sorry, uh, 2, 12 to 16, we're going, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our key for today. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in, and, and that's where that story of their leaves coming in is, God works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. I didn't know that verse that day. <laughs> so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So <clears throat> as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then you will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Isn't that a wonderful portion of Scripture? Well, so we're going to look at this very thing, work it out, work it out. Okay, 
So work out your salvation. So let's have a look at what the word salvation means. What salvation means to deliver, to give hope, to be saved, to be completely free of the consequence of something that you deserve punishment for. And uh, some of you would have gone to the movie Schindler's List in 1993, it was released. And it's the story, if you don't know, about a man called Oscar Schindler, who was a very wealthy German businessman. He was also a member of the Nazi party at the time. And he um, had these factories that he would make um, ammunition for the soldiers in the Second World War. And over a period of time, he began to be very concerned the way that the Nazis were treating the Jews. And so he asked uh, um, for the Germans and they, or the Nazis, and they did do this, to build him another factory in Czechoslovakia so he could br bring Jewish men and women, their children, to these factories um, and protect them and shelter them. And over the course of the war, he spent all his life savings. He gave everything he had. And he saved 1,100 Jewish men and women, their children. And I think it's a wonderful story of the salvation. This man, he delivered these people from what was going to be a certain death. And so he gave everything to save these 1,100 people. And at the time of 1993, there was over 6,000 uh, descendants from those 1,100 people. So I think that's amazing. Yesterday I mentioned Wendy and I and our sons were at the War Memorial in, in um, Wellington. If you have the opportunity to go and see the Gallipoli Expedition uh, there, it's fantastic. It's, um, it's Peter Jackson and the Weta Workshop sponsored it, and they've taken these old photos um, and made them colour just as they were. They've, they've spent hours and hours, and I don't know how many dollars, but it's just an amazing thing to see. But there's a story of one World War New Zealand um, soldier, soldier who um, was shot in the chest, and um, miraculously, there was a prayer book, it's about this thick, that was sitting on his, his chest here, this Turkish bullet went into the prayer book, and stopped, he was knocked out unconscious, but he was alive, he survived, and when they opened up the prayer book, the tip of the bullet was at this place, and it said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And I just think, isn't that amazing that what, you know, how God works these things out? So God is our Savior, the one who delivers us and sets us free. And I think that's just absolutely amazing. The scripture starts off, we can go back to verse 12, um, Linda, therefore. When you see a therefore in scripture, it's a good idea to know why it's therefore. And... Um, there are two really, really important therefores in, in um, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to br briefly go over them. So the verse starts off that Jesus uh, um, humbled himself, became like a man, died on the cross, and was obedient to what God had called him to do. And God says, Jesus, because you've obeyed my call, because you came to the earth and didn't sin and lived a sinless life and died on the cross to save all of mankind... You've saved and delivered mankind. God says, and this is what God the Father says, this is the first therefore. Therefore, Jesus, because you humbled yourself, I'm going to lift you up and give you the name above every other name. And that at your name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the heavens and on the earth and on the, eth uh, the earth beneath, every name, every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't that amazing? That's God's therefore. That's God's response to Jesus' death and his resurrection. 
Paul goes on to say, because of Jesus' example, this is now your therefore. This is now what I'm calling you to do. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We'll talk a little bit about what fear and trembling means, but to work out. You know, we can work out on many things. It's great to go to the gym and work out. It's really, really good. It's great to go to uh, school and work out a good education. It's great for the All Blacks to go out and work in the gym and get really fit and then work out strategies how to play the game of rugby better than anybody else. It's great to work out mental toughness. Um, I think it's great to work out how you're going to get a decent night's sleep when you've got a newborn baby in your house. Uh, I remember those days, and, and in fact, for six or eight weeks, never getting a night, what seemed like that, a wink of sleep. And then finally on the day that you do sleep through the night, you go, I feel alive. And then the next thing I do, I rush around to my daughter's cot just to make sure that her little chest is going up and down. So you've got to work out these things. And so there's many things to work out. You know, you start a new job. You work out how the organization works. You work out how to laugh at the boss's jokes. You, you just work out those things. I remember when we moved to Hamilton, we had to work out where the supermarket was, where the petrol station was, who was going to be our doctor, who was going to be the electrician. All these things had to be worked out. But the Apostle Paul, he says one thing above everything needs to be worked out, and that is your salvation. That is your salvation. How are you going to work it out? And it's a partnership with God, and we'll learn a little bit more about this as we go through. You know, in terms of your working out your salvation, is it something that you take with an attitude of complacency? You go, oh, it'll just be okay, it'll just be right. Or do you go, no, I'm really going to apply some diligence to what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. I'm just not going to take a casual, you know, complacent attitude. I'm going to actually really deal with the apathy, the tide of apathy that's in our community and in our nation. And I'm going to really work out my salvation with some real grit and guts. That's the sort of church that God wants to have. That's the sort of church that God is calling us to be because Jesus gave his everything. He gave his very, very best. He went through incredible pain and incredible suffering. Not so people would just sit complacently and not just go, well, maybe, maybe I will, maybe I won't. He wants people to step up to the plate and go, I'm going to work this out for you, Jesus. I'm going to live the best Christian life I can. But here's some real keys to do it, and here's some real ways not to do it. What Paul is saying, work out your salvation, he is not saying work for your salvation. If you don't take home anything else today, please take this home. You don't work for your salvation. You work out your salvation. It's a really important difference. Really, really important. So... <clears throat> If you have your Bibles, let's, let's go to um, Isaiah 64, verse 6. Some people say, you know, I do a lot of good works. And that's really, really good. These are some people that are non-believers and go, well, surely I'll go to heaven. Look at all of the good I do. I wish it was like that. Our salvation is not according to our works. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, We're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteousness, righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. But here's the good news. The wonderful news of the gospel. And what an awesome relief 
this news is, that we don't have to work out for our salvation. We don't have to do a whole lot of good works. We don't have to say certain prayers. We just need to simply believe and receive the special gift that God has given us. Isn't that amazing? It couldn't be any simpler than that. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 say it so well. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Acts 15 11, the same sort of thought. We believe that we are all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Here's the fundamental thing. God is good even when we're not. No matter what happens, no matter how good life is going, no matter how badly life is going, the anchor that we hang on to is God is good. And if that is your theology, if you can say God is good when things are going well and when things are not going so well, you have great theology. You really, really do. If you anchor it and believe on this thought that God is good, that is great theology. Some of you may have heard me share this story before about my neighbor when I was a young kid, 10 or 12 years of age, um, similar time to picking up the leaves with my dad. And uh, my friend and I, Stephen, he's a really good mate of mine. He's now a doctor in Auckland. He works with uh, Tony Smith. Some of you may know him. I, I don't know whose idea it was. I'll say it was Steve's. He'd probably say it was mine. We went to our neighbor, Mrs. Sinclair. She, Sinclair. she lived right next door to me. And she had uh, this really nice letterbox. And I don't know why we did this. Who's ever done some stupid things in their lives? Oh, it's good. Some of you are honest. <laughs> we did this really crazy, stupid, silly thing. We got all the rubbish, stones, dirt, uh, old letters, whatever we could find. And we stuffed her letterbox to overflowing with all of this stuff. And at the end of that, I thought, this is a really stupid thing, right? What say your father finds out? And I'm going, flip. And then what say my mother finds out? It's even worse again. <laughs> well, <clears throat> my friend came and saw me a couple of hours later, I think, and he said, Mrs. Sinclair wants to see you. And I thought, oh, no. It's going to be real bad. So I remember walking up her driveway. It was quite a steep driveway. My heart was just bouncing out of my chest, and I knocked pretty secretly on the door. She opened it up, and here was this old lady with blue rinch hair and whiskers out of chin. It's the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. And she said, why don't you come on in? And I thought, oh, flip. Okay, I walked through a kitchen, and then I walked into a dining room, and there was a table with a lace cloth with two glasses of lemonade and a plate of milk arrowroot biscuits. She said, sit down, have a drink. Have a biscuit. Yes, ma'am. Drunk the trunk, drink and, and had the biscuits. And we chatted about all sorts of things. And then she said this one thing to me. She said, you know, letterboxes are for letters. That's all she said. I said, yes, they are. Of course they are. That's all that they're for. <laughs> so we went down. I think we tidied up the letterbox. I can't remember now. But from that moment on, I mowed the lawns. I sort of just felt this incredible responsibility to look after her. And I laugh at it now because her name was Mrs. Sinclair. That day she cleared my sin. And God taught me something about his grace. I didn't deserve 
any of that. I deserve to be whacked around my backside. You could do that back then. <laughs> By my parents. But I never got that. I don't know if they even ever knew about it, to be honest. I don't think she even told them. But she was gracious to me. She was kind when she didn't need to do it. And God is so gracious and so kind to us when we don't even deserve it. And that's what the grace of God is. We don't deserve it, but God says, here it is. Take it. Receive it. It's far bigger. It's far greater than what you can even think or imagine. The grace of God to say, I love you. I'm calling you to be with me. Come around my table. And all we need to do is say yes. So none of us are saved for working for it. It's by the grace of God. Jesus says, carries on then, work out your salvation. So what is he really saying? Well, the scriptures, at least from God's perspective, there's at least three different aspects to work. There's one which is all pretty obvious, the labor of our hands, making things, digging trenches, um, working on computers, this manual labor that we're all very familiar with. But there's two other uh, very important parts and probably one of the, the most significant parts, which a lot of people don't think about. But let's go, uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, in John chapter 6, verse 29. John 6, 29. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Isn't that amazing? God calls believing in him work. So we've all come here today with faith, believing in God. God goes, that's good work. That's really, really good work. That's what I want you to do. It's a work of God. And then it goes on further in John 10, 32. And Jesus said, at my Father's direction, I have done many good works. These were works of healing, works of um, raising people from the dead, the works with um, the ten lepers, healing them. Jairus' daughter coming to life, the man with the withered hand. God, Jesus is all doing these works at the direction of his Father. It's not manual work in terms of digging the soil, baking cakes, or making furniture, but it's the works of God. And so <clears throat> it's really, really important. The central one is to believe in God. And if you've got your Bibles, let's, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And I feel this is really important for us this morning and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And I want to say to you, church, in terms of working out your salvation, it's something that we're not complacent about. It's something we've got to be active about. But one of the things we can go, well, yes, I believe, God, that you exist. Yeah, I get that part of the deal. But do you really believe God wants to reward you? Do you really believe he is so for you and so interested in you and says, I just want to reward you because I'm a good God. I'm not rewarding you because you're good. I'm rewarding you because I am good. And I don't know about you, but I used to struggle with that thinking that God wanted to reward me. The scripture says God does. And can I encourage you to work these sorts of things out that God wants to reward you because he is good. Good theology goes, God, I'm here to receive your reward, both in this life and in the life to come. Isn't that encouraging? It's really, really good. 
So to work, putting our faith in God, putting our faith to act the things that God wants us to do is truly our act of worship. So our work is an expression of worshiping God. Isn't that cool? So to work out salvation means people who believe in Christ know that they're saved by God's grace and learn to live in Christian community to obey God because God is at work in us to both will and do what he pleases and desires. We work with what God has placed in us so we can work out what he has called us to be. And we don't do that by isolation. We don't do that by being separate from one another. We do it by working with one another. Do you know, um, I really, really thank God for this. Every day of my life that I can remember, my mum my died when, she was, when I was quite young, but every day of my life, she always told me she loved me. I can't think ever of a day that she never said that to me, multiple times. And so if your mum's here, dad's today, can I really encourage you to do that? It's really, really good. And for those that do, fantastic. And so I never doubted that God loved me. I have never doubted that in my life because my mother sowed it into me. But God revealed something to me, and I've shared it before, but it really surprised me. I was at a meeting, and the, the, the meeting leader said, connect with a person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, and ask for example, the Father, what he wants to say to you. So I thought, all right, I'm going to ask Father God, what do you want to say to me today or this evening, Father God? What he said, and it just was clear as crystal, shocked me and surprised me. Now, you've got to understand, God knew what was in my heart, and I believe God did this to reveal what was in my heart so I could then work it out. So he said these simple words, I accept you. I accept you, and I felt it, I heard it right here. And my reaction to that shocked me and surprised me. I said, God, how could you say that? If you really knew me, you wouldn't say that. And what I was just, what was happening, God was revealing something in my heart. He knew it was in my heart. I didn't know it was in my heart. Now I'd come to the surface, and now I need to work it out. I need to work out out what God had revealed. And I want to say to you, there will be things for all of you that God will say to you or put the button on that he wants to reveal to you. Bring to your uh, um, mental vision, if you like, your understanding and go, okay, I've got to work that out. It might be something around bitterness. Something will just pop up or unforgiveness and you go, man, I'm carrying something here that I didn't even know I had. God is wanting you to deal with that so you can continue to grow and be all that he's continued you or called you to be and grow into. So I want to encourage you, don't turn off from the dealings of God in your life. So when God showed that to me, um, I accept you. And, and my response, I, I, it took me about three weeks. I went to my prayer um, room. I've got a prayer room at home, which is really, really good. And, and I said, God, uh, I'm really shocked, Lord. I'm really shocked that I've got that attitude. And um, so I want to say sorry about it. And I want you to help me actually come to a place where I can really accept that you accept me. I know the Bible says it. I, I believe what you say. But, Lord, help me emotionally connect with this. Help me emotionally and intellectually and spiritually just really go, 
that you accept me. So I prayed like that over a number of days. In fact, it was three weeks. And I can honestly say in my heart, I know God accepts me. God has worked it through. And he wants to do exactly the same things. And the things for me will be different for what they are for you. But it's that working in and working out as God reveals them. And as we do that, we grow into the stature and the maturity that God has led us or desires us to be. The whole thing that Paul said this to the Philippians, that in 358 BC, the city of Philippi was settled by a guy called the Philip of Macedon. And you may be familiar with the Macedonian area. It comes from his name. He was father, the father of Alexander the Great. And uh, so when he came and settled this place, there were gold mines there. There was looting going on. And so he set up um, security forces to stop the looting. And the picture that Paul is drawing from, you can go into these caves and chip away. And then you'll find a seam of gold, of spiritual treasure. And then he's saying, follow that seam of gold. Dig it out. Don't treat it complacently. Work it in. Draw this gold out, the spiritual treasure, because it will give life to you as you grow and walk with Jesus. So this working out takes some real um, practical steps. You know, Jesus keeps a, record, a, a, a um, report card on how we're doing about this. Um, I used to think report cards were over at school, uh, but they're not. And you can look at uh, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 and see where Jesus writes a report card uh, to th uh, seven churches, the Church of Asia Minor. These churches are, are located in what we would call modern-day Turkey. And so he writes a number of things to these churches. In every case, to the seven churches, he says, I know your works. I know your works. So here's the call, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus says, I know how that work is going on in your life. I know everything about it. I know what I've worked in, and I know what you've worked out. And I'm going to give you a report card about it, because I want you to work it out well. I don't want this stuff deposited in your life, and then you just let it there, bury it. I want you to maximize and invest it. That's what he's saying. So he gives these report cards. Seven churches, and everyone starts the same. I know your works. I won't go through it all. Uh, except to mention a couple. In uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, to the angel of the church at Pergamos write, I know your works, there it goes again, that you hold fast to my name. You do not deny my faith, but I have a few things against you because <clears throat> you uh, are there, the, there are those who hold on to the doctrine of Balaam. Can I, can I say this? Your theology is really, really important. Developing and understanding every aspect of who you are as a person, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, working out good theology is important. Now, I'm not saying you've got to go to university for that. But Jesus says good theology is coming to the kingdom as a child. If you can come as a child with childlike faith, that's great theology. If you're going through tough times, and going, I'm not going to chuck out my faith because I'm going through a challenging season, because I'm suffering, because life, the winds of life are blowing against me. And you're going to stick your, your, um, and anchor yourself in Jesus. That is good, sound theology. That's what God wants. Good, sound theology. And I want to encourage us to uphold 
sound theology according to the Word of God. That is not just about intellectual knowledge. That's great. Develop that all you can. But it's about spiritual, um, emotional, our ability to make sound decisions. This is good theology. And we're going to have a look a little bit further what Paul says to the uh, Philippians about good theology as well. But so Jesus is saying, look, you're doing really good. You're, you're, you're great with your, you're holding fast to my name. You're not denying my faith. But you've got some theology stuff that's wacky. Get it sorted out. He goes on and, and, and writes further to another church. I know your works. I know your love. I know your service. I know your faith and your patience. For your works, the last are more than the first. Isn't that great? You're doing better now than when you first started. But I've got a few things against you. Your theology is not right in this area. About tolerating things that shouldn't be tolerated. About being complacent about things that you shouldn't be complacent. About being apathetic about things that you shouldn't be apathetic about. He goes on. And in in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, to the church of Laodicea and to the angel of the church of Laodicea, verse 15, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. And it goes on in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So these are these report cards that Jesus is writing. And you've got to understand, these report cards are not to condemn What are they there for? Good theology says to lift up, to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. And so in every case, in those seven letters to the church, in in the book of Revelation, Jesus ends the letter or the report card is repent. Change your mind. Redecorate the, the furniture or the wallpaper in your thinking. Get my approach to it rather than your approach. And I think it's an incredible gift, isn't it? To be able to change one's mind, to be going, well, I'm going along in this direction. And Jesus says, hang on, you keep going that way, it's not good. You're not working out what I've worked in, you. I want you to work out what I've worked in. Turn around and go this way, and then you'll work out what I've worked in. I'm working in that you're accepted by God. You're a child of God. Work it out. Work it out. So I went through and looked at all the things that Jesus said to those seven churches, and I won't go through them all, but in 14 times, he said, be faithful, hold on to the faith, persevere. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's, 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 I think it's, I, I marvel at this, that our behavior is so much the outcome of our upbringing, our environment, but particularly our attitudes and our beliefs. What we believe, what our attitudes are, affects the way we behave. You know, on a lighter tone, I know there are people that here that really love Holdens. They believe that they're the best car. And they will never buy a Ford. They will always buy a Holden. And I won't ask for those who would only buy Fords. But uh, Jesus knows if our belief system and our heart is right, then what we do in terms of our behaviors and outward things are going to be right. Isn't that cool? So, let's go to um, the next verse. Thanks, Linda. We'll go on to the next one. So, here we've got the report card for the seven churches. Just gone through that. 
Paul gives a bit of a report card to the church at Philippi, and he's really focusing, church, you need to be a church that's building in the unity of the faith. And so this is a big thing for him about building unity. So he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. It's really good theology to say, Lord, I'm going to do everything without grumbling or complaining. I'm not going to complain about the church. I'm not going to complain about other churches. I'm not going to grumble and moan about my boss. I'm just not going to do that because that's poor theology. Good theology is, if I've got issues to talk about, I'll go and talk about them. If I've got issues to sort out, I'll go and sort them out. But I'm certainly not going to be a complainer, and I'm certainly not going to be an arguer. I'm going to work out the grace of God and speak the truth as God leads me to. So that's good theology. So let's go on to the next one. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That's a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 32, where Paul is echoing back to the children of Israel and saying, look, they did complain and they did argue. But I know you're not going to be like that because you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's go on to the next one. As you hold firmly to the word of life, then you'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Do you know one of the keys to working out with God well is working in the word of God into our hearts well. The leaves of these pages, going back to the leaf story, if you take the leaves of these pages, I just find a $10 note. Look at that, I did too. Wow, that was good, wasn't it? Didn't know that was there. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I heard of a story, this is true, <laughs> reminds me of a person who worked out their faith to such a point that they trusted God to provide for their finances. And they said they needed $18,000. This is true as she said it. She said she went around to her house and she was looking um, for a bag or something. She found a bag and uh, she opened it up and to her surprise it was $10,000 just sitting in a bag. And she goes, she believes it was a miraculous provision and, and the rest of the finances turned up. So it's just amazing what God can do, isn't it? Beyond what we can even think or imagine. So, so where we are, so hold firmly to, to the word of life. Having this word anchored in our soul is a critical part to work out our salvation. So in terms of working out, one of the critical things to work out, when it all comes down to it all, is working out who God is and working out who you are. That's what it's all about. Working out who God is and working out who you are. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the fear and trembling doesn't mean, oh God, I'm so, so scared of you and so afraid of you. No, it's more focused itself. God, I don't want to miss out on our relationship. I'm going to be diligent and focused to do that well. And so I want to you know, conclude this um, this talk now, and obviously, you know, I've shared with you about how God revealed to me about that, how He accepts me. But there was something that happened to me two years ago that really sort of shocked or rocked my world. Um, for a period of about three months, I felt really insignificant. Now, for those that know me, I'm a reasonably confident person, and that sort of is typically not me, and I felt really, really insignificant. And um, I began to pray about it, and I said, Lord, what is going on? I just feel really insignificant. And I felt the Lord say to me, it's not you. 
it is not you at all. Here is this oppressive thing that wants you to feel as though you are. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've absorbed a feeling that it's not from God, and it's certainly not of me, to try and oppress who I am. So I felt the Lord say to just deal with it. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, thank you that I'm not insignificant. I thank you that I'm significant in you. And I command this insignificance to leave. And instantly, it was gone. That is the honest truth. I felt confident and fresh and bold in the Lord again. And I've never felt that way since. And so God works out and works in in us to reveal that we have keys of the kingdom. We have authority to work out who God has called us to be. And do you know, church, the power of the kingdom in your hands is far greater than what you and I know. The enemy is terrified about it. And as the church of Jesus Christ rises up and works out her salvation, she will be a mighty army that shines the light of Jesus. Just imagine if our momentum prayer evenings, which are held once a month, had more people attending those than what come to a Sunday gathering. Wouldn't that be amazing? Absolutely amazing because we're expressing, we're working at our salvation, knowing who God is, more about Him, and knowing more about who we are. And if you want to discover the best you, you discover who God is. The man who knows God knows himself. The woman who knows God knows herself. So in conclusion, going back to the story of the leaves, and this is probably, I'm thinking, 40 years ago, a long time ago. And uh, so we probably collected the leaves around uh, May, June, I suppose. Well, it was December. It was near Christmas that year. And my mum, who loved cooking, cooked a beautiful roast meal, roast chicken, I think it was, And here were these beautiful roast vegetables, potatoes and pumpkin and um, carrots and parsnips and peas and beans and just oodles of vegetables. And uh, we sat down to have our meal and said grace. And about halfway through, my dad said to my mum, look at this, every vegetable on this plate is out of our garden. And what my dad had worked in six months ago had worked out in these amazing, luscious vegetables. God has worked into us the fruit of His Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's placed all the gold in us. And we have this incredible privilege to work it out with Him. Not independently, but with Him. It's more with than for as we work it out for God and the fruit of the Spirit, that those that come around us, those that are with us at work, go, there's something different about you. I can see, I can smell, I can sense these wonderful vegetables, for want of a better word, the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely awesome. Why don't you close your eyes and and just bow your heads as we just close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the incredible privilege it is to be in your kingdom, is to be sons and daughters of the living God. Father, I thank you that you love us more than what we can even think or imagine. That, Lord, you've saved us, Lord, not because we're good, but because you are good. 
because of your amazing grace and your incredible kindness to each one of us, we can stand in your presence and say that I am saved because we've turned from going our own way to going your way. If that's not your story, if you are here this morning and can say or can't say that I know that I'm saved from the consequences of going my own way, if you don't know what it is to experience the grace and the kindness of God for Him to lift you up and put you on a new track, if that's you this morning, while every eye is closed and head is bowed, can you give me a wave? That's great. Fantastic. Just take a few more moments. This is a really cool time. Saying, Jesus, I want to follow you more than anything else. That's cool. So, Father, I thank you that, Lord, you've called us and equipped us to work out our salvation. Thank you for the gold that is placed within each one of us, the treasures, the spiritual treasures of heaven. And Lord, help us to work them out as a church. Help us to work them out as families. Help us to work them out individually. That Lord, when the final report card is done, you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Thank you, Father, that you're with us, that you've promised never to leave us, nor forsake us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those that responded, I'd love to meet with you afterwards. Just come up and see me. That would be fantastic. Thanks very much, Josh. Thank you, Ray. It's a good challenge. Before you go today, why don't you write down, if God's triggering something in your heart, what's God asking you to work out? Is He putting His finger on anything, just saying, come on, I want you to grow in this. Write it down. Take it into your prayer time this week. Don't just leave it here and forget about it when you walk out the doors. Write it down. Put a reminder in your phone. That's what I often do. What are you going to be praying for this week? And just say, okay, God, I want you to work this out in me. Thank you, Ray. That was excellent. Hey, the, for parents, the take-home question this week uh, to discuss around the family dinner table or discuss with the kids is how do we worship in everyday life? So how do we worship in everyday life? Write that down as well and discuss that um, with your kids this week. Um, reminder for visitors, grab one of these just as you head out the door. It's just to the right. It's got that info in there for you. And the, we have uh, giving stations as well just as you leave. Um, we talk in, our, in, in church about being purposed in our giving. So we don't take up offerings in the middle. Let's remember to give, and, and uh, we can do give by internet banking, giving by internet banking, or payments as well. Um, but also, that's the end of the financial year coming up very shortly, so just this Sunday and next Sunday. So if you would like, if you're planning on doing some extra giving, then get it in before the end of the financial year, and that will be included in your tax return coming out shortly. Hey, if something that Ray has shared this morning, if that's triggered something and you'd like prayer or if you just want someone to stand with you and pray for something, then come up to the front afterwards. There'll be a prayer team to, um, to stand with you and pray and support you through. Awesome. Can we finish with a song, guys? That'd be great. Have a good, have a good week, church.
Alright, invite you to stand back to your feet. And just on our way out this morning, let's make these declarations. He's turned our sadness into gladness. You turn my sadness into gladness. You turn my sorrow into joy. And now I'm singing.